0: I'm going to help you remove that voice in under 30 days guaranteed. Not only remove it, but transform it. So instead of the voice that sabotages you, there's one that propels you to much higher levels of performance and success. There's a link in the show notes. Click on it to find out more. All right, let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the No Limit Selling Podcast. And uh, this month, super excited. We're releasing a new app. It's called Mindset Boosters. It lets you decide how you want to act or feel in any situation. So whether it's a sales situation and you want to be fearless on the phone, or you want to feel unstoppable, or you want to let go of anxiety and enter a state of peace, this app's going to help you do it in under five minutes. So it's going to be brilliant, but even more brilliant than my app is our guest today, Patrick Lee, welcome to the program. You are a coach for leaders, and we're going to talk about leadership today. Welcome to the program.
1: Thank you, Umar. I uh, am happy to be here and looking forward to
0: the conversation. So everybody thinks that, you know, uh, I know what leadership is. Let's just define it, because everyone's got a different definition of what that is.
1: So I think leadership is... The reason it's so hard to define is because there's a lot of things that go into it, but I can tell you what it's not. It's not a title. It's not... It's not management. Um, leadership is seeing a vision and helping people figure out how to get there. Um, and there's a lot that goes into that.
0: Yeah, actually, that's a pretty damn good description because uh, that vision that they can see, uh, there's been some research done on, you know, why are hourly workers hourly workers? And one of the things they find is their time horizon is Friday. End of the week is their time horizon. And they can plan what's happening this weekend. But beyond that, they don't do a lot of planning. Then you have middle managers that can look out maybe a a month or two or three months ahead. And CEOs can see five years ahead. And then total visionaries can see, you know, 20 years from now, we're going to be on Mars or whatever.
1: And that actually turns out to be, you know, I work a lot with small business, medium-sized business clients. And that horizon, that time horizon and that vision horizon is one of the biggest limiters. Because when you have a business owner who is de facto the visionary and the leader who is much more op- operations oriented, and so maybe they're seeing a year out. I mean, they're probably seeing a little further out than their managers, but, but you need a visionary in a company where it stagnates.
0: Absolutely. I think part of the issue is this, is when you build a team around you and you are that visionary, and it's like, baby, we are going over there. There is the promised land. But when you don't have the right management team underneath you, there's things blowing up every day and you're being pulled into operations all the time. And I think that the job of the leader is threefold. Number one is that vision piece is to be the visionary that has a vision compelling enough that people go, you know what? I want to go on that journey with you. I'm not sure how we're going to get there, but I believe in you. Second thing is the culture. How do we build a culture where people, it's not about me, it's not about my department, it's about how do we make that vision come true? And how do we come together in that way? And the third thing is, how do you make this organization more valuable as we move forward? And when you have a weaker management team, the visionary can't focus on the culture, can't focus on the value of the company. They're just putting out fires. Thoughts on that? And how do you coach people around that to let go of the day-to-day? Well, I th- I, so we use a, uh,
1: a methodology that's called vision alignment execution. And it's, it's set up to help us identify. Before you go one. any
0: further, Patrick, can I ask the execution part? Is that employees that are not performing? Well, Just I think ex- no execution's I can't allowed, but please go I on. Say, yeah. <laughs> I, I,
1: I have to be careful with that because at some point, if you've done your HR correctly, execution yeah. is probably an option, but yes. I don't want to get into HR <laughs> law or anything <laughs> like that. So,
0: I don't want to do that. Vision, so we talked about vision, so uh, alignment and execution. So talk about the three. Well,
1: I think traditionally what happens and An organization can be deficient in any one of these areas, but where it usually ends up having its biggest challenges right in that alignment area, because you typically do have somebody who has some level of visionary capability or this organization would have never come into into being, right? And the fact that they are a business that is operating or an organization that is operating in any way, shape, or form means that there's got to be some level of execution involved. So where things tend to get mucked up Is Mm -hmm. right in that center in that alignment piece. And so what typically happens is the visionary says, here's my vision. Go do this. The folks executing are on the front lines. They're feeling the pressures. They're feeling this. And they start doing their defaults, you know, what their temperaments tell them to do, what their customers are yelling about, what they've learned in the past. There's nobody guiding them to how to see beyond what they already know. So then you end up in this weird position where the visionary is going, my people are worthless. I can't get anything done. And they're going, this guy's telling us all this goofy stuff that's never going to happen. And so we end up in that place where, you know, we need we need communication to execution from the vision, but we need – We need that visionary to be able to take that feedback and adapt the vision and come up with recognizing where the inhibitors are that are stopping them from attaining it. And so that alignment piece is a lot of communication and a lot of being willing to adapt on the fly as things happen.
0: Absolutely. And one of the things I find, uh, the, you know, there's two common problems in organizations. Communications we'll talk about in a few minutes, but very much most people don't know roles and responsibilities and they don't know how they fit into the grand scheme of things. I'm just doing this widget thing here. What the hell? You've got this vision, you know, who cares? I'm doing this widget thing. And I think what we need to do is to really get people to understand what the other departments are doing. And I'll give you an example. Uh, Sometimes everybody knows salespeople are a bunch of lazy SOBs that are playing golf all the time, eating steak dinners, and have this expense account. And when they really get a sense of, you know, these are the you know 39 steps I need to do to kind of have a customer and also get referrals and go deeper into the account. they go, oh my God, this is a more complicated job than I thought And of course, the salespeople is thinking, Patrick guy, he's just goofing off all the time. all he has to do is this and when the salesperson realizes this is what Patrick's doing and when we kind of get all the different jobs and the processes, number one, it allows us to go, wait a minute we can make this more efficient, but more importantly, everybody figures out how they fit into things. And if the leader can say, this is the vision, and this is how we all need to tweak to make that come true, then people get alignment and also this bond. Uh, would you say that's a true statement? And how do you help, if it is, how do you help clients do that?
1: That is absolutely a true statement. And you've just hit one of the biggest limitations that I see working with um, business owners. And, and that is that, That business owner, when they started the business, they were the smartest person in the room, right? Mm -hmm. And when they first hire somebody and some staff, that staff's usually support staff. You're going to come in here to make my life easier so I can continue to be the smartest person in the room and do everything that's around me, right? And then when they start to grow, the mistake that happens a lot is they continue to hire that jack-of-all-trades, right? They continue to bring in that person who's good at a lot of things but not necessarily great at anything. So the organizations that take off – are the ones where that that leader recognizes that I need people smarter in these areas. Like, let's say IT. I need somebody in IT who's way smarter than I am, who can see what's coming and make stuff happen. So they hire that person. Then they go, oh, I need somebody in finance who's also smart. So pretty soon they're hiring folks who are smarter than they are in each of those silos. But those silos are silos. So when when that owner goes, yeah, but what's my job now? Your job is the umbrella. Your job is to make sure that every every one of these silos is communicating, understands what the other silos are doing, why they're essential, what's needed, and you create a cohesive culture and a a cohesive understanding of what the vision is. That's
0: the role of the CEO. Absolutely. And I'll just add to that. I think one of the other things is the human nature is, especially when we're stressed, to uh, basically go into defensive posture. going to protect my department, I'm going to protect myself. And so part of the job of the CEO is very much to create a climate where that would be anathema to the organization that if you had that selfish kind of drive that we exercise that get holy water and basically remove that. And the only way to do that is to get people to trust in the vision, trust in the processes and trust in each other. And once people have got that, then I don't need to keep an eye on Patrick, you know, we want to make sure him and his department are doing what they're supposed to do kind of nonsense. It's like, I know Patrick's got my back. I'm going to, we're going to do our best job over here. And if Patrick has a problem, he's going to put his hand up and say, I got an issue and we're going to help him in any way we can. And I think that is not so much that a course is taught around that, but that's something that's needed. And some leaders kind of figure it out for themselves and then become that. And other leaders never quite figure it out because it's a constant. This VP's coming in saying, you know, can you believe what the people in finance are doing? And you got to help me. And so how do we get people to learn that skill set of being that kind of leader?
1: It's difficult to do because a lot of times these leaders are coming up from managing by touching, right? Yes. Whatever's being done is right there. They can see it, they can touch it, they can micromanage it. And so the idea that you can go a few levels away from what's happening over there and still manage that and still lead that, that's that's really difficult to grasp conceptually. You almost have to experience that to be able to learn it. So, how do you set up, you know, how do you set up a, a place where a leader gets to learn that, gets to realize, wow, I'm sitting over here, I haven't checked in over there, but on my monthly check in, I'm able to, you know, make adjustments, make suggestions, and things still run. Yeah, that's hard. It's hard to get people to trust that that can happen and to even try it. Because a lot
0: of times, it just feels like that's not even possible. And of course, it is possible. And it's, it's not going to happen on your first try. The people that the, uh, the root of all of this are our mothers, because they said this like uh, this rotten piece of advice, which was actually totally brilliant when you're kids. It's like, if you don't have any, anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And leadership is all about having the conversations we need to have. And how can I have a conversation with Patrick? Well, let's say there's an area where you're struggling in. And if I hedge around it, and I don't want to hurt Patrick's feelings, and I don't talk about it, it just festers and it becomes a problem. But if I could have a conversation with Patrick and say, hey, Patrick, I'm noticing that, you know, your department and you guys are doing this and it's really not helping us out a lot. Help me understand what's going on. And if we had an organization where Patrick is trained to go, huh, what are you seeing, Omar? And then I tell you what I'm seeing and you go, well, the reason we do this is there's like a, the federal government requires us to do this. And I go, oh, okay. Uh, I get that. And then all of a sudden I have understanding rather than holding on to this. Or you go, huh, that is a problem. Let's figure out how we can solve it. When we can get that kind of relationship, we can have those honest conversations without getting uh, feeling threatened. I think that's the fundamental foundation we need in order to build those kinds of organizations.
1: I agree. And I think one of the things that you mentioned previously is the idea of, of creating the culture. And I think if you if you instill in the culture the idea that look, conflict is inevitable, but it doesn't have to be bad. Productive conflict actually can get us beyond places that it. we're at now. Yeah. Right. So how do we how do we encourage people to lean into conflict and make it productive, right? Not not acerbic, not I'm stressed, so I'm lashing out, but okay, we have issues, there's friction here, your department thinks this, my department thinks this, but we've got to operate together if we're gonna achieve anything, let's sit down and, and make this happen. That, that, that's another one of those things that's easier done by demonstration yes. than it is done um, by theory. And, that, and that's actually, when you ask, how do I do it? I find that I typically need to be in there and almost guide folks to that. Once they've seen it a couple of times, I can step back and they can continue.
0: One of the things I've seen in organizations is, you know, they get one of these uh, smart people coming in and they say, you know, Hey, we got to be, you know, brutally honest in this organization because the truth shall set you free. Uh, happens to be the uh, motto for the CIA. But anyway, and people don't use truth. The intent of the truth is not to make things better. They weaponize truth. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, so we need to kind of it all starts at the top. And I think it's the leader. And sometimes leaders are weak, which is fine. You know, we're all human. But if the leader can get to the place and they get their executive team underneath them to build that kind of relationship, and it takes a little while to get there, once they get that done, then you can actually go down to the rest of the organization. But if that's not fundamentally happening at the top, it's not going to have any lasting effect near the bottom because it'll just be stamped out if it does exist at all.
1: And that's exactly true. And I think... An organization that begins to grow and expand in any way, it's required that that second and third level of management understand the culture, understand productive conflict, and believe it. I've been in too many organizations where what, what the leader or leaders want the culture to be is not what the culture is. But yep. they just keep saying the same thing over and over. The culture continues to behave the way it is. And the one thing I think we know from research is that culture always wins. The individual, the willpower of the individual does not change culture. Culture almost
0: always wins. So back when I was like uh, younger, and uh, this is like a really insightful life, I've never been a practicing Muslim, but one of the things I was told is, you know, Islam is constant, no matter where you are, even if you're on Mars. And then I took a trip from Canada to Egypt to Saudi Arabia to Pakistan. It was our honeymoon uh, for a couple of months. And I noticed it was practiced differently in each one of those places. And what came through was this, that even religion is so important to people, culture trumps religion, which is kind of saying something. It's like, you know, this Absolutely. is supposed to be the word of God, no matter what faith you happen to be in. But the even the Romans, it's like, okay, we're going to come in and these people have these gods. We're going to basically absorb those gods into who we are. And then we got Thor and stuff. So even the Romans realized you can't beat freaking culture.
1: No. And then, and then Marvel realized that. So they created the culture, right? So there my- you Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I have to say,
0: Umar, I am always jealous of you. You had a two month honeymoon. So this is how it happened is we got married and we decided that we just do the wedding at home. We do a bigger wedding later on. So it was just, you know, like, 30 of our closest friends at the house and we didn't have any money for a honeymoon. And then we decided to leave Canada and come to the States. My wife was an American, a Baltimore gal, and we had no money, but we had no responsibilities and no jobs waiting for us. And so it was just like, uh, let's take that honeymoon that we were supposed to take and we'll never get a chance again to go just travel without, uh, you know, a timeline. So that was actually quite beautiful and wonderful, but, uh, just goes to show you you don't need a lot of money to go traveling.
1: I will bear that in mind because that my favorite thing is traveling and I don't do enough of it. So,
0: there you go. So, here's uh I'm going to coach you. You know, uh Patrick is a coach. Here's my coaching. All right, Patrick, I want you to, you know, within the next 6 months, you plan a trip somewhere, a, a minimum one week. 2 weeks would be better.
1: Yeah. All right, I'm telling you. I'll tell you where it's going to be. It's going to be Portugal. I'll have to get notes from you on that, and we'll see what happens.
0: So uh, here's one of the things you can do, dear listeners and viewers. Uh, You can do this really super easy in Manhattan. Is where I did it last time. There's like five of us, and it's like, okay, Patrick, you're picking the uh, appetizers. Uh, John, you're picking the entree, and I'm picking the dessert. And the first person picks a as we're walking, picks a restaurant. We would go in, have drinks and appetizers. Then we leave there, and the next person goes, we're having a entree at this place. Then you go to the third place for dessert, and it just makes a night of it, and it's unexpected, and it's not planned. And sometimes you can just have a small adventure, you know, at a drop of a hat. That's a great idea. I like that. All right, Patrick. So why don't you and I decide there are six things that people need to learn to be great leaders? And I'm going to let you pick the first one. I'm going to pick the second one. And let's just design a course right here, right now, before we end this program. What's the first thing a leader needs to be good at learn?
1: Active listening. The ability to actually hear what people are telling you, siphon through it, determine what's relevant and what's not, but actually listen. Do not have preconceived um, ideas of is this relevant or is it not relevant?
0: Love that. Number two from my end. You need to know what your purpose is. When you know what your purpose is and you're the leader of this organization, you can take that personal purpose and you can make it the mission of the company so you become an authentic poster child for that organization.
1: Feedback loops from the beginning. Build feedback loops in all directions, down to the frontline workers, up to management, and make sure that it's institutionalized so that there is no way to avoid those feedback loops.
0: Love that. Number four, number four, have a thirst, a hunger, a compulsion to always be learning. And it doesn't have to be around leadership. You could be doing something uh, about art history and all of a sudden you realize, oh my God, this uh, Leonardo da Vinci used to do this thing. I could freaking use this in what I'm doing in leadership. So always be learning and that uh, just allows you to be a more interesting person at cocktail parties, but more importantly, a better leader.
1: Okay. Um, realize that there are two main motivators in people that make things happen. One of them is fear and one of them is passion. Fear is a short-term motivator. Passion is a long-term motivator. Make sure you're capable of motivating by passion and make sure that you that you know that the people who are following your vision are motivated by passion, not fear. So this would be number six, right? You're on number
0: six, Lamar. Number six, the final one. There could be a bonus round going back to you. But I think... Uh be a kind person. That doesn't mean you let people uh, off the hook from their responsibilities, but kindness is a superpower and making people feel connected and valued is really huge. And just kindness is simple and it defines the feel of your organization. And we need a lot more of it in this world. So yes. Absolutely. Yeah. So Patrick, thank you so much for coming on the program. Last two questions. Number one, what brings happiness and joy to you in your work? To
1: me in my work, it's seeing the aha moment in people. I love it when, when folks, you see them, they, they go back and there's this moment where you see they've totally gone into their head and recognized exactly what was blocking them from either seeing, understanding, or moving. And that's always that feeling of like, wow, okay, we've, we've achieved something.
0: Love that. Uh, last question, what's one mind hack that you'd like to share that people could implement right now to be better leaders, better humans? That's a, that's a good
1: question. I'm guessing that, that find a way to read. And if you're not reading, listen. And if you're not listening, watch it. But find a way to take in as much information as
0: you can. Don't be stagnant. Absolutely. Patrick, thank you so much for a brilliant conversation. It feels like it was only five minutes, but it was actually 22 minutes. So thank you for being on the program.
1: Thank you, Umar, for having me. It was, it was quite fun.